We're starting a little um, series. Um, we're giving a break, having a break from Romans over Christmas, and we're doing a bit unusual for us as kings, but I think it's a really good thing that many churches do an Advent series. Not just about Advent calendars, Advent chocolates, but uh, the, the sort of Advent in the church. Uh, celebrating that period up to Christmas has been going, I'm sure, long before Advent calendars. And um, we've got this little series going. Um, I wonder how, how ready you feel you are for Christmas. Um, it is a bit alarming when you think it's December this week. Um, some people feel a bit behind with the preparations. Some people think, I've just got a few more things done and I'll be able to relax. I'd like to feel that everything's on the way. Some of you are thinking, what do you mean getting ready for Christmas? Probably because someone else does it for you, or your kind of Christmas just doesn't require any getting ready for you. Just turn up and, and join in. But we're going to be thinking this Sunday, next two Sundays, and tied in with the baptism uh, Sunday as well, thinking about three classic Bible passages that help us get ready for Christmas in the most important way, get ready to celebrate and uh, rejoice in the love God has shown to us in his Son Jesus, we're not going to be helping you tick any presents off your list, unfortunately. There's no bookstall to where you can buy any presents. But hopefully this is going to be really good preparation and foundation as we approach the wonderful time of Christmas. And seek to share that with others as well. Let me just pray and then we'll have a look at a Bible passage together. Father God, we do thank you that Jesus didn't just come on a whim but he came as part of a wonderful plan that you had had uh, for centuries, millennia past. Your plan for our world in love to save us. We do pray. You speak to us this morning as we consider uh, words from long ago that spoke of your son and uh, wonderful things about him. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9. Verses 1 to 7. It's often read at at Christmas and in carol service and things, but we don't need to wait until that. Some words that were written about 700 years before Jesus was born, but accurately uh, predict what this coming king is going to be like. So the words will come up on the screen. Isaiah 9, beginning at verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. As I said, these are words from about 700 years before Jesus was born, came to God's people through the prophet Isaiah, God's messenger. And um, the first thing we see from this is that this coming king, this child, brings hope in unexpected places. Hope in unexpected places. You see that in verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And it promises honor for the northern regions of Israel. Or Zebulun, Naphtali, the areas given to those tribes of Israel, also known as the Galilee area. God is going to do something amazing. He's going to do something unexpected. But he's not going to do it where they were expecting it. Maybe you'd expect everything happens in the capital. Why doesn't God do it in Jerusalem? No, it's a, it's a plan to bring something wonderful in an unexpected place. Well, some of you know I'm from Hull in the north of England. And uh, Hull is next year is going to be the, the, the UK city of culture. Now, it sounds like a bit of a joke to some people. I'm not laughing. Um, because it's not actually saying that it is currently the, uh, the UK city of culture, but it's an initiative to see about bringing, bringing change, bringing change and regeneration and hope to an unexpected place. And uh, I was up in Hull a few weeks ago, and you could start to see around the city centre, they're, they're digging up all the pavements and trying to smarten the place up and do all kinds of things ready for next year. And uh, I hope it does bring about... Um, some great change there. But this, in this words of Isaiah, Galilee, it was a bit like that, sort of backwater. Maybe a place where you wouldn't really, wouldn't really expect anything much to happen. But later, uh, even later, it was going to get even worse. It was going to be hit hard as invading armies came in. The Assyrians taking many of the inhabitants away to a foreign country, putting foreign people into that land's. It was, a, it was a mixed place. It was a difficult place. But it was going to be a glorious place. And this was the place where Jesus began his public ministry, his, his mission. This is where Jesus launched his mission from. He came from Nazareth. But even in those times, even in the time of Jesus, people were not expecting anything much to happen there. One of the um, early followers of Jesus, Nathaniel, he was told enthusiastically by his friend Philip, we've, we've found the one Moses and the prophets wrote about Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Real low expectations. But it was true. God was launching his rescue mission from this unexpected place, bringing hope, not just for that place, but ultimately for the whole world. But isn't that, really the, isn't that the Christmas story all over, really? Hope in unexpected places, through unexpected people. Jesus, not born in a palace, not born in the capital, but born in a stable, perhaps more likely an open field. Maybe just under some kind of shelter, under a tree. 
laid in an animal feeding trough for his bed. He wasn't born to rich, even middle class um, parents, born to a poor family, born to Mary, probably a teenager, peasant girl, unmarried when she became pregnant. Great shame in those days for her, which would have stayed with her. Baby Jesus, he wasn't visited by politicians and, and heads of state initially. He was visited by shepherds, people who were despised and on the, the margins of society. The message of Christmas is not about God rewards the respectable. It's not about God helps those who help themselves. It's not like Father Christmas who gives good things if you've been good and doesn't give you anything if you've been bad. The message of Christmas is hope in unexpected places. It's, it's that Jesus came to bring us hope, whatever, whoever we are, whatever we've done, whatever situation we come from, including, it's for all people, but it's, it includes broken and bad and sad people. And Jesus is especially good news, as it, it said in that passage, for those in gloom, those in sadness, those in distress, those who feel humbled by their circumstances. If that's you this morning, There's hope in Jesus. He came to honour and lift up everyone who'll recognise their need of him. Their need for restoration and forgiveness and a new start with God. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're here as someone who you've written yourself off in some way. You think, I'd be very surprised if God ever used me. Maybe you're someone who looks down on other people and, and thinks, well, I'd be very surprised if God used them. God can't do much with them. God won't change them. You think of people you know, you'd love them to become Christians. You think it's never going to happen. Don't think that. Jesus came to bring hope in unexpected places, in unexpected people. Hope to the shepherds. A humble job, outcasts of that society. They had the enormous privilege of being the first to not just visit, but hear the birth announced to them by angels. God honoured them. This child was going to bring hope in unexpected places. But also light. Light in dark places. See that in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. When Isaiah the prophet spoke these words to God's people, things were looking pretty dark. In this period, 700 years before Jesus was born, is a dark time politically. I don't know if you know much about the history of Israel, but I'll just uh, tell you just a sort of bare minimum you perhaps uh, might need to know here. There was King David, there was King Solomon, the great kings of Israel. But after that, Israel became divided into two kingdoms, Judah in the south and what continued to be called Israel in the north. And Isaiah was speaking to the the south and the king of the south in Jerusalem, King Ahaz. But it had implications for the whole of that nation. And King Ahaz was a terrible king. He led that nation away from God, away from following God. The Bible says he was was nothing like his, his, his forefather David. He led people away from God. And one of the ways he did that was when he was being attacked by the king of Israel and the king of Aram, which is Syria, oh sorry, Syria now, um, 
rather than look to God, he had the opportunity to look to God. God said, look to me. Put your faith in me. He said, no, I'm going to put my faith in the superpower of the time, Assyria. Perhaps he thought, but I'll pal up with them and it'll protect me, but also it'll protect me against these other people. But it was a disaster. It was a disaster to turn to other things instead of God, but it was a disaster. And that nation was weakened, overrun by the Assyrians under their power and control. It's a dark time politically. It's a dark time spiritually as well. King Ahaz, he didn't just do sort of bad political maneuvers. He led the way in worshipping false gods. The temple in Jerusalem, he, he, he got ideas from another place. He rearranged things. He brought in another altar, altar of pagan worship. He thought he'd move things around. He thought he'd at very best mix things together. Bit of God worship, bit of pagan worship. Let's mix it together. Really, he was not worshipping God at all. He led the nation away from worship, the worship of God. And it says that in the previous chapter of Isaiah, rather than people wanting to listen to God in that nation, people just started turning to other voices, to, to contacting the dead and spiritualists. It was a dark time politically and spiritually. But God speaks to Isaiah to the faithful few. There were faith, the faithful few, the remnant left the people who are still listening to God, and he says, light is coming. Light is coming in dark places. And you might look around our world today, and you might think, this is a dark place. I mean, depends on your perspective to some extent. There's, there's, there's plenty of beauty and kindness around us. But there's plenty of crime. There's plenty of greed and hatred and persecution and some of us have the luxury of being able to sort of switch off. You know, we can, we can put the, the, uh, the newspaper to one side. We can turn off the BBC News website app. Um, we can not watch the news. Sometimes I think, you know, it's coming up to 10 o'clock at night. And I think, I don't want to watch the 10 o'clock news. I don't want to feel depressed before I go to bed. But many people, they can't switch off the darkness in their situation. They're in the middle of it. Wherever they are in the world, wherever they are in their situation in their life at the moment. And the problem isn't primarily who's at number 10, um, whether in and out of Europe, who's um, the president of America. It's that people are away from God. It's, there's a spiritual darkness that affects the whole world. People not interested in the wisdom of God for life, not able to see that God's way, a God-centered life, is what we're made for. It's the most fulfilling thing that we can have. They need the light of Jesus so what it says in John's Gospel, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds may be exposed. Many people prefer the darkness. It's, it's easier to stay in the darkness. And maybe there are things about the darkness and th we may not think of it as darkness, but until we come into the light with God, we're in darkness. But it's a deception to stay in the darkness. Jesus offers something so much better to us. This is what Jesus said. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it's such a relief to come into the light with Jesus. 
don't know if you've ever had that situation where you've been, um, you've been sitting reading or something. Um, perhaps it's a late afternoon, you're sitting reading, the lights uh, are off because it's plenty of light coming in and you're sitting there reading and uh, gradually it gets darker and darker and you, you just don't really notice. And then someone walks in the room and switches on the light and says, what are you doing? What are you doing sitting in the dark? And you're like, wow, I, d- I didn't realize. Wow, that makes such a difference. Gosh, I should have turned it on earlier. Um, well, how much more of a difference does it make when dark lives spiritually come into the light? Jesus shines his light. The lights go on. And we think, wow, I wish I'd done this sooner. Many people become Christians and they think, Gosh, why, why did I wait so long? I wish I'd done this earlier. It made such a difference. Do you need to come into the light today? Do you need to receive the light that Jesus wants to give you? Become a Christian. Give your life to him. Are you a Christian this morning, but you've got these dark places in your life? You need to come into the light as well. Sin that you need to admit to, areas of your life that you keep locked away from God. You think, well, God's not touching that. I'm not ready for God to uh, have his influence over this part of my life. My relationships, my wallet, my time. God wants to give us a fresh start. Even if you're in that situation this morning, there's light available. Light from Jesus, forgiveness, hope. He's empowering to live life the way It's meant to be lived. Are you in a situation that's not your fault, but it feels dark at the moment? It feels hopeless. Maybe it's what other people have done. It's someone else's fault. Maybe it genuinely is someone else's fault. Decisions that others have made. You can't see the way through. Jesus wants to bring his light, his clarity, his help, his hope to your situation, whatever it is. But wouldn't it be great for, for all of us if God used us this Christmas to bring his light into someone's life. People don't know what they're missing. People don't know what wonderful um, time of year this is. I know that um, we might look, as a church, we might look a little bit like many of the shops, you know. The Christmas posters go up, the leaflets go out. You know, is it our key time for making money, you know, like some of these shops? We've got to make the most of it. Well, it's not that. It's a key time when people are, many people are more open than ever to the message of Christmas. And it's a time we want to make the most of it because we know it's such a good thing that we've got on offer. It's totally free, but it's wonderful. We can be those who switch on the lights for people this Christmas, as it were. Do you want to be part of that? Making the most of the season? Could be just getting in, could be getting into conversation with people about Christmas. People often talk about what they love about Christmas. You could talk about what you love about Christmas. As included in that, the light, the hope that Jesus brings. You can make the most of our Christmas events. Invite someone along to the craft and carols or the carol service or the nativity. Jesus came to bring light in dark places. Does he want to shine your, his light into your life this morning? Does he want to help you, use you to help others come into the light? But lastly, Jesus came to bring peace where there's war. Hope in unexpected places, light in dark places, but peace where there was war. So back to Isaiah 9. That's what verses 3 to 5 say. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. 
They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And these verses are ultimately part of looking forward to what God was going to do in the future that we now know he's already done. But strangely, and sometimes happens in the Bible with these um, accurate prophecies, these predictions um, for the future in the Old Testament, it's talking as if it's already happened. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. It's like it's already happened. And it hadn't happened. But that's one of the things about the promises of God. We're so sure that he's going to keep his promises that often the Bible speaks as if it's already happened. You know, consider it done, says God. To a nation with a small faithful remnant, you know, many people, a majority of people turned away from God with King Ahaz. To this small remnant of people who are faithfully believing and trusting in God, God says, I've enlarged you. You're going to be bigger. You're going to be, people will turn back to me. Things will be different in the future. There is hope for your nation. To a nation under attack at the time, they were under attack and further attack to come. Enemies pressing in around them, they're told God has shattered the yoke and the rod of your oppressor. Freedom. You've got freedom. I don't feel like freedom. What about all these enemies around me? Now I'm going to do it. You can be sure of it. It says that the warrior's boots and blood-stained clothes are going to be chucked in a fire. What's that all about? It's like you know, battle uniform. Elsewhere it talks about sort of beating their swords into plowshares, you know, using their, their, their battle weapons for farming because they're not going to need them anymore. They're not going to need these clothes and boots. Chuck them on the fire. It's finished. Peace is coming. But how's it coming? It's coming through this baby king. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is no ordinary royal heir that they're expecting to be born. It's got four special names that speak of him being both God and man in one person. Wonderful counsellor kind of means like supernatural counselor, supernatural guidance and wisdom and teaching is going to come from this child. In the Gospels, we, we read how people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. Even when he was 12 years old, amazed at his wisdom. He's mighty God. Can't be any clearer than that. This child is he's going to be divine. He's going to be God. In fact, just in the next chapter of Isaiah, verse 21, mighty God, it's just used about the Lord himself. 
No wonder this child's going to be able to bring about great things and peace where there's war. He's mighty God. He can bring about mighty things in your life as well. Everlasting Father. It's not saying that this baby is God the Father. We believe in Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But Colossians 1 tells us that the Son is the image of the invisible gods. And when this child comes, grows up into a man, you'll see it. We see it in the Gospels. Jesus' care of a father, care for those on the margins, care for those in need. The Gospels constantly describe the tender care and love of Jesus like a wonderful father and prince of peace. And the angels sang about that to the shepherds, didn't they? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. It's very popular to wish for peace on earth at Christmas. Really good, really good thing. You know, we want to see peace. Uh, good to pray for it. Good to pray for those who are working towards peace in different parts of the world. The, the Sainsbury's Christmas um, advert a couple of years ago. I don't know if you like these. A lot of people are waiting for these Christmas adverts to come out. The Sainsbury's one a couple of years ago recreated the, the World War I scenes of, of German and British soldiers were told ceasing fire on Christmas Day, coming out of the trenches, greeting one another, exchanging things and cigarettes and playing football together. But it was just temporary. Sadly, it was just a temporary ceasefire, temporary peace for Christmas. And we know there'll be many parts of the world, many places where there won't be peace this Christmas. Many people living in war-torn, troubled parts of the world this Christmas. There'll be families and homes. Maybe, maybe your family, your home, where the pressures of Christmas don't bring absolutely the opposite of peace Peace on earth, not round our Christmas Day lunch table, if there is one. Sometimes the pressure of Christmas makes things worse. How can Jesus be the Prince of Peace? Well, this is the heart of it. Colossians 1, verse 19 and 20 say this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And that baby who was born, fulfilling these wonderful Old Testament uh, prophecies about him, he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. It wasn't an accident, but it was part of God's plan to reconcile us, to, to bring us back together with God into a right relationship that we were made for. Jesus took the punishment for all the wrong things we've done, the things that deserve punishment. Jesus took it for us so we can have peace with him now and forever. Whatever going on in your life, first and foremost, we can know we've got peace with God. Put your head on the pillow and and know things are okay. Things are going to be okay for the future ultimately because God is with me. Things are right between me and him and he will help me. Yes, in the future there will be a day and, and God promises it. Jesus promises to return. There will be a day when Jesus comes again from heaven and sorts out all the wrongs in this world. And it will be a peace that will be seen by all. Not a sort of hidden peace as it is at the moment. The Prince of Peace will be seen to reign as King 
over his people and over the whole world. But for now, whoever you are, whatever you've done, the Prince of Peace, you're not beyond his reach. He can bring you peace in your heart. And there is this sense of, which, of being at war with God. So that's what it's like before we become Christians. We are in a sense, we may not always feel that. We are in a sense at war with God. We've made ourselves his enemies. We're heading for separation from his goodness forever. But Jesus has done everything necessary to bring peace, to bring us back together like sort of warring parties. The peace deal has been struck. Everything necessary has been done. We can come under the government of Jesus, the wise, loving rule of Jesus. It's the best place to be under his word, doing life his way. He knows what's best for us. He knows how life's meant to work. Do you need to submit your life to the Prince of Peace this Christmas? If you're not a Christian, stop warring against him. Hold up the white flag, say, Lord, I surrender. It's time to do life your way. But maybe, you're, maybe as a Christian, whether it's Christmas or not, there's a bit of a war going on inside you at the moment. A bit of a struggle. Maybe there's just some area in your life where you think, I'm just not convinced God's way is going to work. I'm not convinced ultimately it's, it's the best thing to do. I'm not convinced if I obey God in this situation, it will really pay dividends. Will it all work out? I'm not sure ultimately I can trust him. Stop warring against the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. You can trust him. Put up the white flag. Say, I surrender. It's a great time of year to surrender ourselves to the government of Jesus. Whether that's for the first time, whether that's doing it again, whether that's opening up every area of our life to him. We want the, you know, our lives to be in his hands. It's the best place for them to be. We want to know that fullness of the peace he came to bring us, a peace in every part of our lives. And it's a great time to share that with others, isn't it? To reach out to others. We've got something amazing to offer the love, the peace, the hope, the light of Jesus. They can know that this Christmas. We want to go on celebrating it. And um, the band are going to come up. We're going to sing um, one or two more songs to just sort of cement this in our hearts. Just before we do that, let's just have a moment to, to pray. Perhaps just as we're being quiet, it's just good, it was good to reflect. We've heard God's words in the Bible. What is God wanting to say to you this morning? Is there something that he just wants to flag with you? Something that needs attention? Maybe it can't have your attention right now. But just to say in your heart, God, I'm, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to surrender myself to you. I'm going to reach out this Christmas. I've, I'm, I'm going to take steps to celebrate this Christmas and really get it into my heart, the wonder of Christmas and what you've done for me. Father God, we just thank you for this wonderful time of year. We know it's not a wonderful time for many people. We do pray, Lord, for your help and your hope for them. We pray, Lord, we might be agents of hope and light and peace as we take the love and the message of Jesus and we demonstrate that in practical ways as well this Christmas. We do pray that, Lord, you might just um, 
make it rise up again in our hearts, the joy um, of knowing you, the joy of recognizing what you've done for us that we can particularly celebrate and think about this Christmas. We pray, Lord, many more may come to join in uh, into that joy, uh, people that we know this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.